ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get done for eSports! Hello and welcome back to Nerf This, the esports show that's kicking it old school because it's Brian and Seven Time. That has not been Brian and Seven Time in a while. <laughs> it's about, I don't know, man. It's about time. It's, it's about time you got back in that in that chair behind that mic. Yes, looking handsome as ever. Looking, looking buff. I think, <laughs> I, I, I think it's kind of strange because now we are both in the same city, yet still somehow not podcasting in the same room. Not yet, not yet. We've got what one piece of furniture we're waiting on. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I could go back to old school, like having a computer on a couple like boxes. <laughs> so that's how we. That's how we sitting do on it. the floor. Yeah. Ironically enough, I, we are having more struggles shooting data across the city of Columbus than we were shooting from Columbus to Portland. So, go Ohio Internet. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, there's a whole podcast of bitching and complaining right there. So let's not go. Let's <laughs> not start it off. Columbus right Tech yet. Podcast about the shittiness of Columbus Internet. But that's not what we are here to talk about. We have some esports to cover. We're going to talk about Fortnite breaking up marriages. And I swear I, I've heard this song and dance before about a little game called World of Warcraft. We're going to talk about SKT and TSM both coming to an end of an era. And we're going to talk about Twitch getting banned in China. But first, we're going to talk about one of our favorite topics, which is gambling in esports, loot boxes, fantasy esports, all these crazy gray area things that are making the rounds once again. And some of this, this is not a new topic, but I think it's been bumped back no. up to the internet discussion areas. I don't you know, Reddit. There I go. Internet discussion areas is a synonym for Reddit, folks. That's I'm, I'm clearly out of practice. <laughs> but so if you're not following the world laws around this, we reported, what, probably about a month ago about Belgium and their laws and Blizzard having to go in and change how loot boxes work specifically for that country because loot boxes are considered gambling in that country now. Well, EA, with their FIFA franchise, decided to test their luck with the Belgium legal system and said, you know what, we're not going to remove loot boxes and the like from FIFA. Tough shit. And that is brought the conversation back but there's a lot of things going around this but let's start about the loot boxes so loot boxes while not new have certainly started getting a lot of attention over the last year or two specifically because of rules like this the rules we've seen in china where they have to actually disclose the odds and they get the extra attention specifically i think because regardless of what reality is most lawmakers view games is targeted at kids and therefore these loot boxes are more problematic than they would be if say you were just like gambling in traditional sports which is where the line always gets drawn and we're starting to see that permeate through policy whether it is 
you know, banning loot boxes specifically, whether it's treating esports differently from a betting standpoint than traditional sports, has been very interesting to see how that tiny little differentiator, as far as the age in which they think people play these games, is dictating all the policy around gambling and fantasy sports, et cetera, et cetera, despite the fact that there has been a long history of all of those things in video games. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing new. We, I think I think you're talking about, like, we, we, we spoke about this like a month ago. I think we speak about it every other week, in all honesty. It's <laughs> we just leave a permanent been, spot in the show. If it's, yeah, if it's not eSports betting, it's something about, well, I mean, loot boxes essentially getting thrown in, looped in with the, the same thing. And it really, I mean, if you look at, like, you know, Washington State getting involved in it, uh, that it, that is directly because of the way Valve treated CSGO skins. Yep. Really and honestly, like they they stoked the fire. EA came in, said, "Hey, we're going to just throw <laughs> throw some more stuff on that fire," and it just got worse and worse and worse. Uh, I think honestly, what it's going to boil down to, I know that the kid targeting is going to be like the kid, the kind of the part where lawmakers twist on. But essentially, what we're going to run into is we're going to run into a point where they're going to take it to court and they're going to try and argue the fact that. Uh, hey, you know, we have the ability for people to obtain certain things, uh, whether or not it be like, say, in Hearthstone, it's, well, you can essentially make cards or earn cards and you don't need to buy packs. Uh, I think that's going to be their kind of way around it. Now, some games don't have that option. Like the only way to gain skins is to either, you know, essentially get them from packs or whatever it may be. But they're going to try and find this weird loophole saying, well, you don't have to do this at all to play the game. I just don't know where lawmakers are going to sit with it. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Because, so I had this discussion with a friend, actually, at lunch earlier this week, and I always go back to the original example for me before it even became a video game thing, which is Magic the Gathering. Magic the Gathering is about as pure of a pay-to-win game as one can get. And everything has kind of been... And obviously, Magic's not the first to do it, but Magic's the most prominent example. And that has been how a lot of these microtransaction models has been built. The cards games are almost a direct analog. And like you said, Hearthstone is a better version of that. But then we get games like Artifact, where as we know it now, Artifact's not going to give the ability to earn currency through play, and you have to pay for everything. And it's this weird disconnect in my brain where I actually don't understand the hatred around loot boxes. I feel like it plays on so many of the similar mechanics that we see in collecting anything. You know, magic being an obvious thing. I'm a huge Funko Pop collector for people that know me, and there's exclusives, and those cost more, and you got to hunt those down. They're all playing to these same, like, FOMO-type mechanics. Uh, The game just has the extra built-in mechanism of you can be better at the game if you obtain these more rare things, but it's not anything new. And it, it it's just interesting to me that now that they're so easily obtainable in video, you know, microtransaction format in a video game, they're all of a sudden bad. But we didn't care when we were, like, collecting baseball cards or collecting magic cards and the, dealing with the same kind of rarity systems. And the crux of it that people always put it on not have anything to do with loot boxes. It has everything to do with the mechanics that any game has, which is trying to go after that serotonin, you know, the brain response to want to be better at the game, to continue to play the game, and they've tied microtransactions to that. And I get that's why people are upset. 
but like all games have that there's just some that choose to continue to monetize that whether it be through and, and a lot of these games that they're upset about it's often for visual stuff right and that way hearthstone's worse than say an overwatch where it is almost purely cosmetic type items um a lot of the mobas are the same way it's all cosmetic mm-hmm. type items they're not going to make you better at the game so there's so many different facets of this and they're choosing at least everything i've read from politicians and lawmakers ignoring all of that there's no discussion about the nuance of what makes a good or a bad loot box system it's largely just like no you're preying on children so we're going to kill loot boxes yeah i think that's because if they go too general or actually if they go too specific around uh you know this buying of skins uh, and versus buying of something that allows you to interact more so with the game i think if they try and define um the two of those differences right like an overwatch skin versus a pack of cards in hearthstone which is playable right I think they're going to open themselves up to too much of uh, uh, too much legal opposition, right? They can complain that say, "Hey, it, like it, you know, how do you how do you justify which is which in some way, shape, or form? How do you regulate those?" Where if they just go purely with the fact of what you get is randomized and you have to throw money at it, it's no different than a slot machine. They're trying to make this really broad yep. generalization. And in doing so, I think they're going to be able to get essentially the courts uh, or the legal system more on their side versus trying to explain to them how a, an e-game works, as we've seen with E-games. some politicians and so on and so forth. So I think we're going to see them try and take a, a broad punch at it uh, just because it's, you know, you can you can get things that rile people up. Oh, it's affecting kids. Oh, it's gambling at, at its core essence. And it is in a lot of ways. And I know... In some ways, we've just become accustomed to it. doesn't mean it's right, okay? I mean, it doesn't mean it's good that we've got this system, like the Hearthstone system, where you have to essentially go and, and buy packs so you can even play. And it is very much just the same way, kind of pay to win. as like Hearth- or, uh, uh, Magic the Gathering was back in the day. But I couldn't, craft Magic, I couldn't craft Magic the Gathering cards. I didn't, by playing more Magic the Gathering, I didn't earn the ability to get free packs, right? I mean, the only way you got free packs was go and shoplift them. And the only way you crafted cards was to go somewhere and buy them or trade them physically with somebody who was right. dumb enough to give you a good card for probably crap. But uh, so those are, are very different systems. Uh, and so you're, I think, like I said, lawmakers are going to go very broad, try and keep it as base as they can so that nuances can't be thrown in by the game communities to kind of protect themselves. Because then you get. Every game is I'm a I'm a unique snowflake. I get to bypass it for this reason, and they don't. You you can't make a law around snowflakes. Well, and that's what's know. interesting <laughs> to me is what I can't quite put my finger on. I know what we're calling it. I know what the lawmakers are calling it. But like, what are we trying to solve? Is it the purely spending money for randomization? Because if we take a step back, and what led us to this model, right? So. You used to spend absurd amounts, increasingly absurd amounts on a game. You played the game, it was done. Then we got DLC, and people got all pissy about that. But you look at games like Warcraft and MMOs, which ushered in the the, uh, subscription model. And people eventually got uppity with that, and then we got the free-to-play model with microtransactions. And if we kill the microtransactions because we view them to be too gambly... Mm -hmm. Then we go back to what? A League of Legends model, where it's there's no randomization... You pay more money overall to get what you want because you're not buying loot boxes of randomization. You're buying exactly what you want, which will cost more. For those of you that play League of Legends, like those skins are not cheap. 
And if you wanted to get the same size collection where you get to pick each one specifically as opposed to like the Overwatch skin model, you're going to spend more money. Is that enough? Or then we're going to say, oh, we're trying to pry too much money out of the hands of kids. So let's take one more step back. And then we go to the subscription model. I think what is important to understand here is the gaming industry largely is relying on this model to continue to make money. It is becoming increasingly harder for game developers to make money off like a single AAA title with no DLC and no microtransactions and no sustainable model to the point where we see a game like Overwatch that is very much a AAA title that costs you $60 at launch to continue to use loot boxes to generate money because the development of additional content for a game that already exists is always going to be cheaper for the developers than trying to launch a new game. Just imagine what if Blizzard would even exist if they had to constantly make new games because we know how long it takes them to make new games and if they couldn't make money through microtransactions or subscriptions. So I'm going to be very interested from a loot box standpoint the impact this has because if we do just kill loot boxes as a concept, which I do think is very... I don't say very likely, but it is becoming increasingly likely every day yeah. as more countries get on board and more states start looking at it. And we could end up in a world where the loot boxes don't look, they're gone, mm-hmm. and maybe we fall into battle passes. Like battle passes seem to be the new potential solution to this because it's kind of the best of both worlds. You can choose not to buy it, the things are not random, you know exactly what you're going to get. It still forces you or, you know, allures you to play the game, but. It's not as random and not considered gambling. It's just very interesting to me, like the impact this can have far beyond just like I can't get my randomized skins. Like this is a huge yeah. part of the revenue that the gaming industry makes. And if we take that away, there has to be something that replaces it for it to continue to operate the way it does. I think the Battle Pass model is actually really like it's it's the likely candidate of which a lot of these companies will switch over to. And it doesn't surprise me, especially um, like recently Hearthstone ditched like tournament mode and uh, they put it on hold be, for whatever development reasons but whatnot but i mean it could largely be the fact that they want to repurpose that development to like changing their model in terms of of in case this hits i mean if you're a game that um is out there and you live and breathe and die by loot boxes or card packs or whatever it may be you're already past you're already into your development phase you're releasing dlcs whatever it may be if you're going to be impacted by this then you have to adjust your model to stay afloat and we've seen with like well, I guess my my question is to you is like, if you are one of these states, countries, whatever that wants to ban loot boxes, because that's what's going to get weird. It's like, loot boxes are illegal in Washington, but they're okay in Oregon, or Ohio says it's okay, but it's not okay here. Like, as a developer, how do you get around that? Right? You kill them. You have to kill them because the, yeah, the you, cost of enforcement, especially right. at that micro of a level, is near impossible. Like, country yeah. regions, there's already ways around. Imagine just trying to, like, oh, you're in Washington? No, actually, I live on the border in Portland. And they're like, oh, well, you know, sometimes you show up in Washington, so you don't get them. Like, it's 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 kind of hard to do. Right. Like, it, it's not – and do you want to – just think about the development dollars it takes to manage that whole system versus just, like, developing a new system that doesn't require you to have to do that. And I agree. Like, I think that's what you would have to do is, like, as soon as a couple of states say no loot boxes – if Washington comes down and says no loot boxes, or even like, and to kind of take this more the gambling route, like we've seen gambling legalized, where the states can now choose to legalize gambling, but the ones that have, like New Jersey, for example, have specifically excluded esports from that. So there's not a lot of trap doors or escape hatches, I should say, for the developers to try to get out of it. And do you want to spend the money fighting 
all these battles because that's just going to pile up. And yeah, EA may have decided this was the hill to die on. Clearly, Blizzard decided not to die on this hill. And at some point, they're going to have to go in and change how the games work. And that's interesting because they've doubled down over the past right. few years. Heroes of the Storm 2.0 was like tripling down on the loot box concept. Yeah. And every game they have has some form of this every time they release something new. And you're right. Maybe this is what they're doing in Hearthstone. The Battle Pass model does get around this. It is a hybrid of the subscription model and the microtransaction model. Like, you spend money each month. You could still buy individual pieces. They're made available. Like, Fortnite is a perfect example of this, or in Dota. And maybe that's what they do. I wouldn't blame them. Because to uh, me, okay. it just seems like it'll be more money to try to fight it. So, I mean, obviously, this loot box thing is... D- scoping it outside of esports uh i mean it's think about every app that you own that does the same thing right and esports related or not they very much do loot boxes card packs whatever it may be if not not even competitively related it's going to kill that model completely for all sorts of games even on mobile if you are a legal institution whatever government institution how do you enforce? How are you going to? What's your plan, right? How are you going to enforce it? Don't, and I think that's what's going on. Like, how, how do you? How do you even plan to enforce it? What are your guidelines around it? And especially when it's a company from, say, like Korea who's doing it, how do you even go after that if they're selling it on the Apple Store? Do you go after Apple? And in that case, if you start going after Apple to remove these things, now you've brought. Everybody and their mother who is you, – you're going to have Apple, you're going to have Google, you're going to have every video game maker now pushing against this or lobbying against this because it's so broad and so general. Right. Well, I, I, don't know, I don't know how you enforce it. I don't know what they're looking to even do for a solution except for we just want to complain. And, and by labeling it gambling, you're like totally changing <laughs> a huge landscape. It, it's like the equivalent of saying like – being a politician is gambling. You're like, wait a minute now. <laughs> like, you're just like, what are all the different rules and things that change? Like, it's just, I, I, I don't know. It's super broad. I to say, e- even if it's just loot boxes, but that's still that's huge. It is, and and I don't know how exactly you like you said you could probably enforce it through the FCC. But you did make an interesting point. It's worth touching on, which is it's not just about the game developers. We have to remember. So take a game like Clash Royale, right? Clash Royale makes a metric fuck ton of money. That metric fuck ton of money is 100% microtransactions that are primarily tied to that chest system that is all random. There's an extra layer there, but in the end, it's loot boxes. Apple is getting 30% on average. Now, so they have deals with some developers, but they are making 30% of that revenue themselves. And while they don't develop any games, if if they come to you and say, okay, we are going to remove microtransactions as far as loot boxes are concerned across all mobile games. It's a huge hit to Apple. And mobile is an interesting landscape because mobile, from a gaming standpoint, does not have a whole lot of precedent for a subscription model. Now, we've seen that change with traditional apps. In fact, it was announced a couple of months ago that Apple had actually changed their guidance for traditional app developers and told them the better route is to do like a $1.99 subscription you know, for maintenance of your software. But we've not seen that catch on in the gaming industry as far as mobile concerns because there is so much money to be made by microtransactions. So when you start talking about the Google Play Store, you start talking about the Apple Store, um, Steam, you know, there, there's all these different platforms that have their fingers in the pie that are also, like you said, going to be like, well, this isn't going to work. Like, you're going to cost us all this money 
And I guess what it's going to really turn on is the willingness to enforce it versus the willingness to fight it. Because I don't actually think whether or not it's classified as gambling is going to be what determines if this goes anywhere. Because they've already decided it is. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It's gambling. You're paying money. It's a slot machine, as you you gave the metaphor earlier in the show. And it's very true. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time arguing about whether or not it's gambling. Because that on its face, it really is gambling. Like, I put in money in a thing, and some things rotate around, and I get some shinies. And usually some disappointing shinies. (laughs) The question just is, is it it going to be enforceable? And the underlying gambling rules that are starting to form around traditional sports and esports in states are going to give lawmakers at least the footing to have that argument because it's gambling and that's going to what is going because they're classifying it as gambling and that's going to be what is going to be interesting around this and i just don't know who's got the deeper pockets who's got the willingness to fight it or you know is a developer like epic looking at fortnite just going to laugh on the sidelines as they continue to make money hand over fist without having to worry about loot boxes and maybe a company like blizzard sits back and looks at that and goes yeah we could dive in those shark-infested waters that we've been swimming in for a while, or we can just put our developer stuff in here to make battle passes for all our games and just continue to rake in money and not be part of this. Right. And next thing you know, they'll go after uh, toy makers and their blind boxes. Like, I, that's what I'm saying. It's the same yeah. thing, right? Like, it, it really is. <laughs> it totally is. I mean, everything's really blind box anymore. If you're a toy collector, it's blind boxes left and right, exclusives left and right. Um, artifact is literally would not exist as a game as it currently if you can't have that like any card game that is not built like hearthstone is going to struggle because they are the most blatant version of this because it is very hard to make money from a card game where you're not paying to win it's literally the point of these collectible card games and and that makes it challenging so i don't know but looking past that there is the overall discussion about gambling and fantasy sports that also still needs to be answered i think even us we were looking at you know when the government and the supreme court came in and they said hey we're not going to uh dictate the gambling is illegal anymore at the national level we are instead going to allow the states to determine for themselves this is part of a lawsuit that was brought by the state of new jersey new jersey immediately was like great whoo open to sports books which relieved a ton of pressure in one area of the world which is fantasy sports if you follow companies like DraftKings. They were like the, you know, they were the darlings of the internet a few years ago, and then everybody wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole because fantasy sports is right. getting so much crap. Now they have a sports book open in New York. So like how the tides have changed, but the question that you and I were asking was like, how is this going to affect esports? Because it's sports, right? But they have decided it's for the purposes of gambling to say that there is a line of delineation between esports and traditional sports and you can make that i I don't disagree with that argument because you can make a a variety of of calls for that like there are potentially the fact that it's more easily manipulated in ways that are not as transparent when you're talking about electronic competition hacking and ddos and all these things that could impact it that can't impact an nfl game that's not to say that nfl games don't get thrown i know there's a lot of conspiracy theories but like traditionally it's easier to cheat in video games so that's certainly one reason two as we talked about before it's an audience thing and it's hard because when you look at the demographics regardless of you know this is easy for 230 something sitting here to talk about you know how they play video games but traditional sports are aging up which primarily a problem most of the time but for the purposes of gambling is great you know our kids you know they're not even paying attention to us whatever like we can go ahead and continue to gamble where esports primarily kids and east you know in esports since twitch and everything does skew pretty low far much you know far lower than traditional sports right. do and it's really hard to make an argument for why there should be gambling in esports yeah and it is it totally is and i think we keep talking about how 
esports tends to skew lower. And I, there was it was maybe like a year or so ago. I think uh, CS:GO Reddit did a poll of, and it got like twelve thousand people from Reddit. And uh, I think it was something like seventy percent were under the age of eighteen. Like it just tells you that, like, yeah, the when it comes to the online communities. Uh, a majority of them skew very, very young, um, and, and from an esports standpoint. And uh, again, it, but that's if you're going to regulate it like a like a betting thing, like technically, uh, you you should also apply the same rules of, of of age to do it as you would traditional betting, right? I mean, traditional betting technically had to go through the same thing, right? right? We don't want young people doing it, so on and so forth. So they have these rules and guidelines around it. I think largely when it comes to esports betting, I mean, people bet on all kinds of things that aren't even sports related, right? Right. So it's not just sports that like Vegas has the odds on. Uh, it could be I don't know all kinds of things. I, I oh, they they bet on things like what color is the you know maid of honor's dress going to be at the royal wedding or something like right. What they what are they going to name the kids? So on, yeah. so like all kinds of random things. So they they bring up all these different things just to bet on because there are odds. Yeah, and and it's a way to make money and a way to lose money, I guess, essentially. Uh, and so when it comes down to esports, I don't think, I, I think by the courts going and saying, we are not going to touch it, we're going to let it be run by state, largely put it in the wheelhouse of, you get to age gate it, basically, is really what it is. It, it's them stepping back. And I'm wondering, by them saying, we're not going to touch gambling, we're going to go state by state, if states will see that kind of same thing going with, along lines with, with loot boxes, right? It's not going to be as bad as gambling or whatever. We may or may not touch it. In all honesty, I feel like states are just going to get worn out and <laughs> kind of just get rid of it. This is kind of, it feels a lot like marijuana. This, Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it feels a lot like uh, a bunch of old, old men, old, women, whatever it may be, old politicians yelling at the internet, right? And yelling at the world, we don't like this thing, blah, 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 blah. But it'll never come to fruition because it's so broad. And there's no real clear way to attack it. And I don't I don't, I don't know. It's like them saying, we're taxing the internet. That, that, I mean, look how long we've been fighting that battle for the longest time. Well, what's right? interesting is is the, the way they're taking it actually puts more responsibility on them than what it could be, right? If they were to say... Esports is betting is legal, but you must be 18 years of old, and the companies that take bets are required to deal with the regulation. Right, right. that's like, the same as normal gambling. Yeah, yes. DraftKings. Instead, they are choosing to take the enforcement on themselves by outlawing it completely. Because by outlawing it completely, DraftKings can't even spin up an esports gambling site. So then they have to deal with like black market and gray market gambling stuff that is going on, or all this like impromptu stuff that tends to happen around CS:GO. They got to deal with all that, and that, and like, yeah, that gives you the mechanism to go after like a CS:GO lottery yeah. type situation. But you're putting the enforcement on the individual states to do that, and we can argue about whether we think that's right or wrong. But it's certainly, if you're trying to take a more passive approach, that's not the way to go because you're gonna end up having to own the enforcement, and then when it doesn't right. go, you'll have nobody to blame but yourselves because you can't blame DraftKings for not making sure kids don't do it. You have to blame yourself for allowing it to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of time until somebody takes them to court saying it should be legal for esports betting, right, in whatever state. You can't I – mean, I don't see the delineation. I mean, I understand that there are ways people could cheat, but there's there's plenty of ways people can cheat in all the things in which Vegas have has bets on, right? Like, I happen to know 
who's what they're going to name their their kid and because i've got a friend who's like their nanny whatever it may be right. right like you just know like there's just always going to be a way for somebody to cheat um but the thing is is the odds are generally stacked so that the house is going to make money in some way shape or form right yeah. and so uh really the people who are making the money are the people running the books um and the people who are, are setting the bets uh and and so in doing that, those are the people that need to regulate it more, not necessarily the people that are applying or going towards or who are basically putting the bets in. Yes, it needs to be age gated, whatever. But what needs to be regulated is that if the people who are the subject of it can't also be double dipping, and that is where it it kind of ties in. Like you know, you don't want the actual player who's involved in like who's the quarterback of the team who's in the Super Bowl, like, placing bets on the other team because, you know, he's he could throw it. He's got some skin in the game, essentially. Right. And so that's the part that needs regulated more and watched more. And I don't know if that's the part that they're freaking out about because... It's also the part that already exists, right? Like, whether, <laughs> right. It's, whether it's me offering a kid $50,000 to throw or, you know, the kid gambling himself to try to throw, like, it's still... A pro- we, there's not legal esports gambling now, and surprise, surprise, this stuff is still happening. So right. I'd rather we put some regulation in there instead of just pretending like it's not going to happen. But it's and it, I don't I don't know if that the lack of regulation or the lack of an institution to regulate is what's causing part of this scare. Right. Like there's no governing body of of esports in general. But you generally have like an NFL commission. You have an NBA commission. Like you've got right. people like a ruling body over all of it. But really here with esports, you just have a game developer. And as we've seen, Valve will just send shitty emails back to you right well <laughs> like and, they're not going to enforce yet and in a lot of ways almost all developers that have an esport are running some sort of fantasy program right like you can actually earn points for in-game loot for example through like paladins and smite like with their fantasy stuff in game so it's very interesting one other topic real quick and we're not going to go deep into this but i think is an interesting point a lot of this is tied to something completely unrelated that will blow up everything that we're talking about right now which is what happens if some governing body comes around and blesses this sport what if esports gets into the olympics what if the ncaa actually goes somewhere and starts sanctioning esport events well now your argument that it's not a traditional sport goes out the window now what is the definition can you really hold esports in general accountable just because of its demo and then you have to do it on a per game basis because guess what mm-hmm. like it's only called esports right now because no game arguably no game has gotten big enough to be called on its own but now as overwatch and league of legends continue to grow from an esports perspective you know what what if the demo for league of legends right. skews above a certain point and it's a traditional sport a la ncaa now what do you do yeah well, and that's what that was the point I was going to also make. It was the fact of like you've got a lot of governing bodies which are classifying it as a sport, so largely for like visa reasons or tax reasons, whatever it may be. So if you're going to say it is a sport, we're going to classify it as such so we can give people visas to work with it. Well, you've now jumped that other you've jumped to the other side and said, well, technically it is a sport. It's treated like it from a, a legality standpoint, a, a taxing standpoint. So why can't it be included into it? So then that's what I'm saying. Like at some point in time that there, there's going to be a legal, somebody's going to fight that battle, right? Legally. And they're going to win because you can't, you, you it can't, can't be a double standard. It can't be a sport right. for certain purposes, but not a sport for other purposes. Exactly. And I think that's, that's going to be the thing that it hinges on. Yep.
So we'll see. This is not the last we're going to talk about this. There's, as you can see, it's all interwoven in a lot of things. But this loot box thing especially is going to be very interesting to watch because I do think there's a certain degree of consumer sentiment against loot boxes. And there certainly is lawmakers that are against it. And if the, tying it to gambling is the safest way to try to sweep it away. So well, it's going to depend, as you rightfully said, on how much the developers are actually willing to fight. If some of these big dogs like Blizzard, Activision, EA decide they're not going to fight the battle and they're just going to go battle passes or whatever, and then it'll probably go away. If they do decide to fight, it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of ways that you can say that this is not gambling or at least that it could be so hard to enforce or so detrimental to the industry that it, it outweighs any you know legal ramifications to the small children folk who uh, play games and get abused by these loot boxes. Moving on, we're going to talk about Fortnite. and then The first thing we're going to talk about with Fortnite is this interesting article that our producer found uh, and I feel I'm uh, getting a little sense of deja vu here. So Fortnite has been cited in more than 200 divorce proceedings across the UK, according to uh, Divorce Online. I feel like you should have prefaced that a little bit. Like, like getting deja vu is in like, I got divorced because of Fortnite. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I think any of us who are our Anyways. age probably had some relationships that were taxed by a certain MMO, if not multiple MMOs. I don't know, you know, for the older audience that grew up in World of Warcraft, especially at its peak, and there's a lot of documentaries. I remember those documentaries, man, about like the dude rocking his child next to his chair so he could continue to raid. And like, to be clear, this is not something specific about Fortnite. I, I, I won't even like entertain that discussion. Any game that is a good game whose goal it is is to keep you coming back, it's going to cause some level of addiction. Games, you can argue all day long, but games are set up to create that brain response to make you want to want to continue to play them. Has it been increased in the last few years, as we just talked about, because of the fact that they need you to keep playing, to keep spending money? Of course, right? Like, there is not as much value in you buying a AAA game and them hooking you over and over again if you're only ever going to spend that $60 and the only option available to you is to spend that $60. So the genre, as in any game with a microtransaction, is going to have this built into it. You can argue whether or not you think it's good or bad. I just think that this is very interesting because this is the same type of articles that we used to read back in the MMOs heyday and how MMOs were ruining relationships and were bad for kids and and this doesn't feel any different than that. No, it doesn't. I think there's an interesting uh, little little tidbit of data in there from, I think it was a 2013 Brigham Young University, found that 75% of spouses of gamers say they wish their spouse would put more effort into their marriage and less into video games. Uh, well, I think we found probably one of the, the main reasons, I guess you could say, as to why that, those are happening. I I, I do. I, I, I kind of sort of find this funny because Fortnite's being blamed in the same way that we've seen in the past just games uh any game that's gotten big it becomes like a target just really for articles in this case to to i don't know poke fun yep. at the game or it, it just the fact that they kind of the fact that anybody said hmm let's 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 query Fortnite in divorce proceedings and pulled back data i think it's i think it's funny the fact that it's made it into that is uh, I think it's funny. We should have just put this at the end of the show, just like rip on it, but whatever. I don't know. It, it's it's a very interesting... I mean, it's a problem that's never going to go away. And I, it's funny because I have struggled in my life. Like, which is worse? Dating a non-gamer who can at least pull you out of this or dating another gamer so you can just feed each other's addiction? <laughs> which, oh, actually, which one? It's like, it's like the two of you being addicted to crack. Like, that's far worse than only one of you being addicted to crack. You know, what wasn't cited 
was whether or not it was the actual playing of Fortnite or if it was the the their horrible attempt at esports skirmishes in this past year that actually created <laughs> the divorces. The, the people bad, are just bad really observing, and bitter and yelling and throwing things and yeah, bad observing, really boring gameplay. No, I'm just joking. Oh, uh, wow. they, they've, I thought you were talking about PUBG there for a second. Well, yeah, no, no, but no, yeah, that the, the wouldn't say PUBGs to be like circles with lines shooting at each other <laughs> was a reason for, for, uh, I played that Atari game in the eighties. It was great. I know. Right. That's pretty much what it is. Um, hypothetical gameplay <laughs> from, from a mini map, a mini map, basically. Actually, what you, you don't even need to, I don't know why Epic wasted all that time on Fortnite esports. They could have just like made. A game where you just shot lasers at each other like worms or something, and then that's oh, just... you know what? I just realized PUBG's new slogan: "Not divorce ready." Oh, See, God. there you go, there you go. Not divorce ready. You you single handedly saved that game from obscurity. There you go. Yep. See, flocked it, flocked it. Less people were getting divorced over PUBG than than Fortnite. It's a selling point. Go for it. By percentage or by raw numbers? We all know the popular vote versus the. Uh, electoral college debate i don't know we need to go there with numbers for fortnite and PUBG. well that's a different different podcast different podcast yeah more (laughs) beers involved yes uh so you mentioned this the fortnite fall skirmish uh this is interesting this goes back so we have had this debate about battle royale games since they first hit the scene way back in the way back way back in earlier 2018 when we were talking a lot about h1z1 which is this is just a hard genre to build spectator-friendly esports around. And what they Fly. tend to come off better at is these showcase type events, right? These they're doing these like fun game modes, they're doing like what we saw with like the Ninja Bounty Challenge. Whenever they try to go hardcore and like, all right, we're gonna put a hundred people in front of a land setup and we're going to have them play games, it 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 fails miserably. It's hard to spec. The game mode in general is hard to spectate. It's really hard to figure out what's going on. The casters hate it. The audience hates it. The question is, is if it becomes what the skirmish is trying to become, which is these what they're calling entertainment play formats, can you still call it esports, or is this just another form of like Twitch style spectatorism? And is there anything wrong with that? I don't think it 100% classifies as an e-sport. I mean, I think it's just the general competitions. To me, I feel like a sport <laughs> means you, you have consecutive games that are very similar and or a league or a season or something, right? Having like, well, this week we're playing golf, basically. Next week it's 100 free-for-all or whatever it may be. Um, like the fact that they're... This is marketing. This is more marketing than anything else in the world, and it's just it's it's epic. Uh, deciding, hey, we've got uh, more money than we know what to do with. Uh, we're going to throw out very vague press releases, and then just be like, so nobody has any expectation except for the fact that ten million dollars is going out, and we're just going to run a bunch of random events, and that's what it is. It's it, it's uh, the only thing that they're really doing. That makes it feel more esport e- or competitive is the fact that they open these up to everybody, right. and that they're esports teams who are buying into it and trying to get players and, and pay to have players go. But it's not supported by Epic in any way, shape, or form. It's like a, a very expensive carnival, like but instead of throwing ping pong balls and winning goldfish, you're uh, doing golf mini games and doing shopping cart races and winning real money. 
I'm going to, so I'm going to upend this conversation a little bit. Do you think Epic made the right choice in not supporting esports teams and leagues? I mean, if you think about it. Yes. And I, and I will tell you why, because I have yet to see a viable format for this genre of game that can involve organizations. I really think that let's take the esport label off for a second, right? If I was going to spend a hundred million dollars and I'm Epic, I'm going to spend it showcasing the game in the best way possible. And the best way possible is what they are doing. Now, I don't think it's esports and it may seem silly, but people show up and watch it. More damn people watch the summer event at PAX and care about half of Blizzard's esports. And that's telling. And yeah, they could go and try to build a league and do all this. Nobody's done it yet. This is what the fourth game, at least, that has tried that would have tried to bring in teams and create an ecosystem and do esports. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think that works. And nobody has shown me how it works in a traditional format. And I think doing bounty things with Ninja, and I think doing these more activation style. I mean, I hate that word, but it's like an activation style event. It's a better use of that money. I think it's stupid they came out with a press release yeah. calling it money earmarked for esports, but like. <laughs> It's what they're doing. They're in. They're basically yeah. trying to come up with a, a press release friendly way of saying we're going to invest hundred million dollars in marketing this game in fun and unique ways. Is essentially what that press release yeah. should have said. Um, but I'm yeah, not against yeah. it. I think it's great. I'd rather see this than that crap we had to watch for PUBG. Like it's horrible. <laughs> so I think one of the, one of the reasons why I find it interesting uh, or I find it unique is the fact that by not locking it into players. Uh, or sorry, esports e teams like you know they've got a league, or whatever it may be. You haven't sectioned off any group of players, right? Historically, like with CS:GO, you are basically saying only these this upper echelon of players will ever get noticed, right? <laughs> that that in and you have people who aspire to be that, and then you have a very stark difference between the people who are aspiring pros and the casuals. And they don't always get to come together or play together, right? And so by not doing that, they've basically bucked expectation for what a, a league or an esport needs to be because they've basically said, we don't, we, we only want to be it in terms of a press release, but we're not going to do anything else. We're not going to support it like a league. We're not going to treat it like an esport. We don't want, we don't care about teams. We don't even want people making leagues essentially of it. Um, and if they do, they're not going to get our money. And as we've seen, nobody's made leagues really of it, right? Um, and every time they do, they just stomp on them with the skirmish anyways when they actually get a, a decent yep. <laughs> known tournament going. Um, so I, I feel like as much as I didn't like it to begin with, in practice, it feels right for their audience, Right. You, you think and about you how the game got big, right? It very much matches how the game got big. Like Ninja right. is like the meta version of this story, right? He was a relative, I don't want to say complete unknown, but relative, you know, C tier streamer. And like he took to Fortnite and a lot of people have taken to Fortnite and it's just fun to watch people screw around in the game. And well, that's what it is. When you when you look at some of the more viral things, like recently, I think there was this big viral video thing going around, a bunch of like kids at like a preschool or a kindergarten jumping up and all doing the random different dances mm -hmm. to uh, a Fortnite. Not one of them was wearing anything esports related. None of them care about esports. But you know what? That's the thing that kind of drives the awareness of the game. Yep. And, and Drake isn't esports or whatever other whatever latest player is or playing. known person. Yeah. 
yeah, it isn't esports. And so by not locking it into esports, they're letting anybody who wants to be anybody or, or be known jump into it and not have to be locked into a team. And they're keeping it away from organizations getting to be front and center yep. and making it around the people. And I think it's it's super smart on their end not to do it. And this may uh, be a little controversial to yeah. say, but like to be honest, and I get people like playing it competitively, but if the audience doesn't like watching it, why is Epic going to spend millions of dollars to compensate people for being good at the game in these competitive formats when there's no money for Epic to be had to watch that? If Epic spun up yeah. a tournament... And did it PUBG style, a quarter of the people would eventually watch it that are watch these skirmishes because it's boring as crap to watch. So it's not that I don't think it's fun to play competitively or there isn't a competitive scene around it, but the competitive scene spectating it needs to be interesting enough to invest the money. Uh, a long con- another controversial statement, but I think Blizzard screws the pooch a lot with this, right? Like, I think the amount of money... They throw into games like Heroes of the Storm, trying to make a competitive scene happen and to make it interesting to spectate. Epic looks at stuff like that and goes, why would we just do what people like about this game? Ironically, what Blizzard has tripped and fallen into is something like people watching raids and raid streaming being more popular than the damn arena fights because that's how people want to experience World of Warcraft. And they haven't figured out how people want to watch people play Heroes of the Storm, for example. Um, and Epic goes, look, this game got big by streamers screwing around and doing hilarious things. And every time Epic changes something to that stupid map and puts a cube in it, makes a cube melt, do all their crazy crap, there's nothing esports about that. But who cares? Like, streaming and esports do not need to be locked together. Like, as much as we talk about Twitch and esports being synonymous with each other, it's not the inverse. Like, Twitch is much, much bigger of a non-esport yeah. platform still than it is an esports platform. Epic saw that, you know. Press release aside, good investment yeah. of a hundred million dollars. I, I don't think it's it's so much streaming and esports need don't need or need to be hand in hand. I think it's about um, uh, like your 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 characters, your well known people, the, the your profiles, whatever may may be your high profile known people within a gaming community don't need to be esports related. Right. That's what right? I'm saying. Well, that's and that's what yeah. I mean. And that's, I'm saying that like you as a developer can support the streaming community without it having to be esports that you're supporting. And I like that Epic has chosen to... For, for In a lot of ways, this is what we've wanted game developers to do for a long time. This is really just content creation, supporting content creators, and giving everybody equal chance for their shot, right? Like, if you actually are this amazing Fortnite player, and you go and you whoop Ninja's ass in a summer skirmish... I, I could be. You yeah. could be, you're not, but you could be, and <laughs> and you could, but that's the dream, you know. Going back to something we used to say for ad nauseum on the show, the keeping the dream alive. Epic found the best way to do it, which is like screw open tournaments, screw yeah. playing on the teams and organizations. Just come to our actual free for all events, play the damn thing, and worst case scenario, you get to play in the same queue as Ninja, and you you know get to say, hey, I got my ass whipped by Ninja. Best case scenario, you make a name for yourself doing it, you make some money on the side. One of the one of the things that will be uh, it's something maybe to even watch is whether or not in a year this type of skirmish, whatever it may be, if people still tune into it in the same way, mm-hmm. right? Like when you have esports and you have um, events, like that, you a lot of times have a, a long narrative, right? And you have some kind of reason to watch. You have people invested in a team, 
you have people invested in whatever. But when it's so random, this is actually what Hearthstone ran into a lot too, was if you have a tournament and every time you have a tournament, everybody is new, nobody knows any of these people, it's hard for them to sign, sort of buy in. Right. You this have this to is find far narrative. more turns on the popularity of the game itself than any of those other narratives. And, right. you know, we could already, I mean, there's been a lot of articles, whether they're accurate or not, saying that Fortnite's starting to lose a, bit, a little bit of steam. And I don't suspect that they're going to be able to pull six figure. All those articles are paid by Blue Hole. Yeah. I'm just Blue Hole's like, hey, well, I noticed this number over here. But it's, it's really just. But it's both marketing in the grand scheme of things. And I agree. Like, it is definitely. I don't know that Fortnite can be a 15 year game like League of Legends has been without that kind of robust scene. But when you're printing money like Epic is currently with the game, this is the best investment right now. Especially if yeah, you have a game that you so. uh, someone and I, maybe there's far more smarter esports people than me that can come up with a format for this damn genre. I mean, there are there down. are there are in this room, and I'm the only person <laughs> in this room. So there's particles of dust that know more about esports than I do. But I I do believe that this is the best investment for this genre until someone comes up with a format for this genre that actually will draw spectators and can. Build a competitive league that is interesting to both play, cast, and watch. This is the best investment for their money. So I, I, I think this was good on. And like you said, I, you know, you and I both gave them a ton of shit when that announcement first came out. But I, I, I got to give them some credit. This seems like be a smart use of that funds. I, I mean, I think, I, I, I think their events feel very disjointed. I feel like they feel very rushed and thrown together. It's like a carnival. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think overall, um, I, I, when you look at it from that upper, you know, mile view, whatever you want to call it, uh, it it's working. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like, I, I can't really give them props because their emails are so vague, I don't know who to give props to. But <laughs> We're not uh, even sure whose idea this is. Like, yeah, it's just, right. It just happens. It's just, it's kind of, I don't know if you stumbled into it because you got all the money in the world and an entertaining game. To be but, fair, that is the story of Fortnite in general, is it not? Uh, well, accidental yeah, success. Well, accidentally, just you know, taking a games format that was more popular and applying it to your dying game, and it just happened to be that you were more stable at a point when they weren't. Uh, whatever, you know, it's luck. I so real quickly, I think PUBG got forced into esports a lot more, a lot sooner than they anticipated. Oh, they quite or, clearly did wanted. not want to be. I mean, they literally well, said yeah. those words. But it, it, which is funny because it's the roots of. PUBG come from DayZ, which has zero competitive scene. And it was but all about the had, spectating experience, right? It was all about just watching right. people do goofy shit. Yeah, and so what happened is, is then you had a bunch of CSGO people who were tired of CSGO. That group got into PUBG and therefore sort of pushed on, well, this game is competitive. We should make a like a, an esports scene out of it and make it more of a thing. Uh, and Still don't feel like it's ready. I I really enjoy it, but I don't necessarily enjoy watching I watching the the very first part of uh, eighty plus people going at it. <laughs> it's really the last couple minute, minutes. Is there some way we could just like throw them all in there with like a tiny circle and two teams? And <laughs> we like... need like the the mixer hype zone version of just <laughs> <laughs> PUBG esports tournament. Is this like the Directv it... Red Zone package for for PUBG, where it's just like give me a channel that just shows me the last three minutes of every PUBG match? That's what they need to do. They need to partner with Microsoft and do the whole machine learning thing so that the spectator stuff just happens. It just switches over to like when there's actually stuff going on. 
because to that's be a fair, fight. It you have humans trying to figure out like we think fights may be. Well, that's why you have machines do it. Duh. <laughs> but if you think about it, right? Like if you have all the hooks in game and you know a firefight is actually happening, which would not be too hard to determine from a code standpoint, machine learning could figure that out fairly quickly. I'm not gonna say it's to be perfect, but let's right. be honest, human observing, especially in battle royale games, is far, far worse than I think you get a machine to do. Yeah, and, and I think also, if you look at it, though, I mean, it may be a little disjointed, but it can't be any more disjointed than bu- a bunch of observers r- tr- trying to find stuff, and then the casters trying to <laughs> create a narrative around it. I don't know why I, I'm just, I don't know, going down this whole tangent. But even if, but, like, it doesn't even have to be purely machines, but you could pl- and apply a machine learning... Sorry, I'm going down the engineering rabbit hole here, but you could apply a machine yeah, learning see, layer... That's what I've done. Sorry. ...to Sorry, these games... Listening. <laughs> that would raise specific parts for the observers to select from. You can still have a human filter on top of it that's like, oh, this is interesting because of some narrative the machine would never know about, like these two players and whatnot, but use that to raise suggestions during the match to the observers. Yeah, it, there's that. And I'm also, well, right now, I think it's currently like things just blink, <laughs> but uh, you could you could essentially take that machine learning model, essentially, Um and go, dare I say, the H1Z1 route, which is not do it live, but actually create a narrative piece around it, like piece it together for an actual show and, and play it over a couple of weeks. That, to me, is far more interesting. Like, I, I as much, I, okay, so first, I hated the H1Z1 thing that they did. You Was don't say, summer? I don't remember you saying anything bad about oh, it. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I know. I, I absolutely hated it. I hated it because they had the perfect opportunity to create a real narrative in a scenario. They just needed to find the right stuff and build it. And instead, they they basically did a mock you, mock you esports event, mock you, like like live event, and they, they did live to tape but tried to make it like it was that was the perfect opportunity just, this is gonna sound yeah, silly for a second but like the perfect opportunity here would have been to have the players play put the stream that both the casters are looking at and the audience is watching on a delay i don't know how i'd have to you know, some work would need to be decided how long that delay is and allow the observers to better produce the feed as it comes into the casters and do some work that way to try to slip down what the casters are able to talk about using some machine learning layer to, to raise those key moments. I think it's such a hard game because if you're a caster, you have to react to what is happening on screen. What is happening on screen is a hodgepodge of shit show because they're trying to do it live and they're trying to do it instantaneously. And they're like, oh, I see a thing happening. Oh, no, I'm staring at this guy's butt hiding behind a, a tree here. And it it becomes disjointed. There has to be some lag in the process to allow the observers to filter out the crap and get the good stuff to the casters so that the casters can talk about things. And I know that takes away the ability for the observers to react to what the casters are saying, but I think in a game like that, it's super hard. It's just really, yeah. really hard because there's so much going on. I think a combination of those two things in some you know ratio would go a long way to helping it. Now, do I still think it's like boring as crap for the first like 80% of the match? Yeah, I don't know how you're going to solve that problem. That's a genre it's problem. Just the looting thing. That's just casters setting up a narrative. doing it. Sometimes it, it, it can be uh, pretty, I don't know, pretty crazy, right? But uh, if people land on like, the same roof, so you do get a little bit of action initially. That's where a lot of deaths tend to happen. Um, but when you have like a, from an esports event and they are planned and they're, they're a team, that tends to happen less because they all go different areas. 
Uh, they try not to contest so so much. But uh, basically, uh, what we're trying to say is Mixer, maybe Mixer saves Battle Royale. Yeah, but then only like six hundred people would watch. So, oh, you're so mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I I would go there to just watch PUBG. There you go. Maybe maybe yeah. they can save each other. It'll be a mutually beneficial relationship. If, if this happens and becomes the biggest thing ever, it's this show that did it. You know, I, I like to think that we have solved proactively a lot of esports problems. We just don't get credit for it. <laughs> yeah, we just got to get someone to listen to us. <laughs> there, there's a bunch of esports careers made of people who've listened to our show and implemented our ideas. That's, that's I'm sticking with it. Did you just throw string cheese at me? No, that is not. We're not cheese. in the same room. Like, how could I? Virtually impossible. Virtually across Columbus, uh, the no, cheese would get here faster than desk. the internet signal would. So, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> dongling is dongle. <laughs> Let's talk. I want to pick up a narrative that we have talked about bits and pieces throughout the year. It was a big t- part of our coverage of Worlds last year, and as we joked about going into these playoffs and regional finals for League of Legends. We talked about how every year we make the prediction that this is the end of TSM, this is the end of SKT. I sit down with usually with Alex Magdaleno from Bleacher Report. We we talk about this. We say, yeah, we say all this, and we get all excited or upset about it, and then we come around the next year, and you know, Faker and Bergson and things just happen. Well, we have finally officially reached the point where both teams are not going to be at Worlds. And it is crazy when you think about it, especially while SKT, the far better team in recent years, TSM has the much longer streak of being involved. And both were, in my opinion, at least kicked off by the same thing, which was a team that was butting up against success, whether that is TSM just trying to have the worlds everyone believed they should have, or it was SKT and that memorable moment where they ran into Samsung Galaxy in the finals and Faker did his Michael Jordan cry, and it caused them to make, in my opinion, some hasty roster decisions that have led to finally both those teams not being involved, and the people that were picked out as weak links, not in all cases, far more in TSM's case than SKT, but people that were picked out as weak links going to other teams and having more success with those teams than they were when they were, you know, than TSM was able to achieve this season. And it's just been very interesting to watch those dual narratives both come to an end at about the same time of the season for roughly the same reasons. Well, I think you have to you have to risk it at some point in time. I mean, you have to change things up. If you're if you're if your goal is to be number one, you're constantly hitting number three. Then you need to change something up. And even if you're number one, I mean, we've seen this in traditional sports, like say soccer, football, whatever you'd like to call it, depending on where you are. You may see a team that was wins a Premier League one year, and the next year they're like, you know, they struggle, and you're like, well, they didn't change anybody, but everybody else changed, and so you have to kind of play that narrative now i think you can point at tsm say well roster changes screw them over yada 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 but you could also point at c9 and say roster changes actually turn them around right i think they actually had like three rookies on their 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 team um at the end versus tsm they had rookie of the year uh as as well on their uh, rookie of the split on their team and so i mean you you look at people like licorice who basically wasn't uh, it's his first time playing at this level, right? At this late in, in in competitive League of Legends, and he's pretty much like MVP ish <laughs> uh, gameplay against a team that has consistently been to Worlds 
for since Worlds has existed. Yep. And so I don't know if you can totally blame it on on roster. Well, you can't um, you partially can. because one of those pieces of that C9 roster was Fen Scarin, which came from TSM's roster changes. Right. Which, and right. th- I think that's the thing that is interesting to me because if you look at the pieces they chose to move around, those pieces were successful where they went. And the pieces, and I, I agree. Look, there is a some point where you have to go, okay, we have beat our head against this wall for multiple splits with this group of people, and we need to mix things up. And to be fair, SKT realized that faster than TSM, they just made some bad experiments. The peanut experiment that they did in 2017 didn't work. Peanut needed to be up there, you know, parallel with Faker, and that's just not how SKT operates, and I get that. With TSM, it's very interesting because, you know, they get rid of Double Lift, they get rid of Sven Scare, and both go off to other teams where they are successful. They, the Mike Young experiment did not go well. He ends up back on the Academy team after he was Rookie of the Year and looked like he was going to be good, but, you know, to give Alex credit, Alex called out that he was super nervous about the Mike Young move, and that turned out to you know, be a good call because it did not go as well, and it goes to show you that League of Legends is not a single-player game. You cannot put everything on Bergson's back. You can't put everything on Faker's back and think that's going to last forever. Now, that's not to say that both haven't pulled off some you know, heroic things even during this season to try to get their teams to the end, but they can only carry the team so far, and those people that got let go from those squads and the people they were replaced with was just not enough to do it. Now, I'm personally excited, especially in the NALCS, to see a different set of teams get a shot at Worlds. Because say what you will about who you think the best team is, but TSM has not done well at Worlds and often has been beaten or has not gone as far as some of the other NA teams that have gone there ranked underneath them. And so, personally, from an NALCS perspective, I'm glad to see it happen. I'm going to be very interested to see what TSM does going into next season because, you know, they showed some improvement, certainly, in the summer split compared to how they kicked things off in the spring split where I think they were like 1-5 in five in their first six matches. But they they really need to figure things out. But I do think it probably has to burn a little bit to see those pieces that they felt like they needed to move go off and continue to be successful even not playing with Bergson right and so I guess the point I'm trying to make is if your players do well elsewhere and you brought in new players to fix things it starts pointing to the fact that management and or coaching is largely where you're lacking right if if the players are performing well but they're performing in in well in a different system it's the system and it's the coaching if you bring in people to replace them and they perform poorly, it's bad choice from management or and or coaching. So I think that's largely where I would point the fingers at before I would point the fingers at uh, the, the players necessarily themselves because they do get brought into this a lot. Now, one of the things that was interesting was after that TSM uh, Cloud9 match is Sneaky was talking a little bit about what changed largely this year. And uh, you know, going from tenth place to worlds is, is really a huge, huge leap, right? Um, but he said, what happened is, is with the the three new rookie players, they went from in previous years of having like one dominant voice in chat and directing how they do things, to everybody kind of sort of having a say. Now we've seen sometimes that's bad, right? Sometimes the change in communication is good. And I think that it's a combination of change in communication. It's a combination of them being really creative with some picks. Like we saw uh, Licorice in that Hecarim top lane, 
they baited basically TSM into it. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see that interview, but uh, they basically chose the champion who's uh, the the round before. It just knowing that they would essentially try to counterpick them by taking that champion first, and it was and uh, Cloud Nine Licorice had played a lot um, of that matchup basically on Hecarim and knew like that was going that he would win. So they basically one they 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 faked him into doing it, uh, and then to, to basically just giving them a free lane, and so. Yeah, it, it worked out perfect. After the fact, they're like, "Yeah, we totally did that because nobody knew knew that matchup. Nobody knew how that matchup was played." And that's one of the things I think. You, you look at Cloud Nine this year, and they are being more creative. They're they're changing things up, and I'm really really hopeful. And I think even some of the casters are talking about this that they continue that at Worlds, and not try to play like the rest of uh, of the world, right? right? Not try to see see like what comps basically Korea is doing and play those and try and be better at them. Because I think having those scenarios where you've got your opposing team off because they don't understand the matchup very well, they don't understand your game plan very well, and you know it better because you've practiced it, gives you that a little bit more of an edge because you're not going to outdo them yeah, <laughs> generally on the, on the people that they've been playing all split long. Yeah, and that's very interesting because, uh, and this is a, a separate discussion, but obviously, like, we know that the tournament meta, especially at Worlds, tends to be, like, this weird hodgepodge and often changes from round to round and yes, day to day. Yeah, yeah. But I think what tends to happen, and we saw this happen with TSM especially, is the NA teams try to see what the Korean teams are adapting to and try to play the meta and let the the Korean teams, and more recently, in recent years, the Chinese teams, and try to follow their lead. And they can't. You're right. Like, we have shown up to this point, maybe we'll be proven wrong this year, but you've yet to see that happen, is that the NA teams just are not comfortable enough with that version of the shifting meta, and maybe it's better to try something different. Now, there's probably people screaming at their you know, iPhones right now saying, well, that's if they don't counterpick, it's going to be the end of the world. You may be right. Like, they may just be forced as not being part of the more dominant regions to always follow the lead of how the dominant regions react to meta. But I have also seen in, like, the Rift Rivals events, for examples, where the NA teams have been able to dictate the meta, and they're not obviously going up against all the regions, but I do think there's opportunities for that. But if nothing else I get out of this is... I'm not because I have anything specifically against these two organizations, but I think overall the teams we are sending from NA are stronger this year than they have been in years past across it. It's not TSM plus the, the you know yeah. the also rands. Like we have better teams in NA, and yeah. I think Korea really has to start responding to the threat of China. Every year is oh. This is going to be the year that China finally breaks through, and it gets closer <laughs> and closer every season. It really does. Like it, and mm. I think this needed to change. There needed to be more strong Korean teams, and I do think we have that potentially happening this season. I still would love to see a Chinese team win because an NA team is not going to win. Let's not. Let's not. You know smoke that too much like it's we're not making that prediction no we're, we're not making that, that prediction but i would like to see a chinese team win I, I think it's i think it's definitely doable but i think worlds at least in my opinion will be more fun from my perspective in the absence of these two teams because the narratives will be different we have no bergson and we have no faker at worlds and that is just interesting you know i'm not saying it's 
good or bad. It's just interesting and different. And I think that will be important to making Worlds feel a little fresh this year, even if most of the time the casters on the English stream will be casting from a trailer in L.A. But it's it's going to be interesting. But I thought it was worth spending a few minutes talking about this because this is a big deal. Like As long as this show has existed, whenever we talk about League of Legends, it always comes back to... TSM because we primarily covered the NALCS during the regular season and when we get to Worlds it's all about SKT and after losing to Samsung Galaxy last year this is where we're at and it's going to be new and interesting we're going to have different teams in there and uh, I, I predict this will be the year I don't know if they'll win but this will be a year that we get we'll get Chinese team at least in the finals I, I kind of feel like NA is going to bomb out really early on they may maybe not they maybe may, not but I feel like a Cloud9 might have actually gotten into a pretty soft group um, I was I was listening to somebody talk about it uh, in another podcast the, the other day, and so they may have a good shot just because of where they seeded. Um, but it, it depends on which Cloud Nine shows up. <laughs> if it's the Cloud Nine that shows up, the the play TSM, they're screwed uh, because that was just ugly versus ugly. Uh, and <laughs> you were slightly uglier than you than we were, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah. So. Wrapping things up, let's talk a little bit about China, uh, speaking of Chinese teams, and we're talking about China and how it relates to Twitch. So this is a we talk a lot in general about how Chinese audiences drive a good huge portion, I should say, a majority portion of a lot of these esports streams, right? Like you look at the number breakdown and oftentimes you can combine the rest of the world and not even get close to the viewers that come out of China. But that doesn't tend to always most of the time does not happen through Twitch. And Recently, there has been a rise of Twitch in China. Now, if you're not familiar with how things work from a business standpoint in China, the Chinese government, there's two competing things here. One, they tend to ban most American and Western media companies. Facebook is not there. Twitter is not there. Uh, Google's not there. There's a lot of controversy going on right now because Google's been rumored to be working on the search engine that goes through and like filters out specific terms. It's supposed to be basically people are upset because they feel like Google is like aiding the communist regime in China in their censorship of people. Two, there's the requirements for a company to operate in China, which is that it always has to be in partnership with a Chinese company. So, for example, when Ford goes to China to build cars, they have to create a partnership with a Chinese automaker in order to be able to operate in China. So Twitch has not done this. So Twitch is doing this like it's like this double whammy. And I want to be clear, this is not something where Twitch said we're going after the Chinese market and we're going to go out there and we're going to do that. This turned out to be completely accidental because what was going on was the Asian games were going on and there was no other way for audiences to stream it. So they went to Twitch and started streaming through Twitch. And consequently, Twitch ends up being the number three app in China, and now they're gone. And it's just very interesting to see how esports, which is such a global sport at this point, and the Chinese are such a huge, huge portion. I mean, we talk about Tencent every other second of these podcasts. And something as big as Twitch is they're not immune to this. And this is going to guarantee that there's always going to be these alternative solutions to all this in China. And I don't know how or when this ever ends. Like, this is such a political and world thing. This goes far beyond anything in esports. But I just thought it was very interesting to see how quickly they jumped on that. They're like, oh, well, that's not good. And boom, they're done. Yeah, I mean, recently China has been making uh, a lot of decisions to ban out things like, again, like you mentioned, like Facebook and uh, and now Twitch, largely because 
not because they've done anything wrong per se, but they've opened the door to do something wrong and they want to close it before it happens. It was very much a preemptive move and it was all spurred on by the Asian games uh, and, and esports, which really didn't get any love at the Asian games uh, and CCTV in, in China chose not to even air it, which is what happened. I mean, people are like, well, I want to watch it. And even if you don't care, if even if it's not metal worthy, um, yeah, like it's it's so funny that like the Asian Games became this weird catalyst in a couple of areas uh, around, and it's all around just esports and the fact that they don't even want to do it. Like we saw, like the Olympics follow up afterwards and say, like, well, we're not going to do violent video games, and people just like going against the fact that like there was esports games involved, but they were all like ten cent games and right. mostly advertised. Like, there's just so much. Going on around the fact that, like, okay, we were they wanted to include esports, and then they basically backed out <laughs> like the like two days before it happens, or the day that it happens, because of like they they backtrack on whether or not you can earn medals and all kinds of stuff. Uh, so it just became just a hot mess, and it's weird to see like we're fall out of this. Like Twitch, Twitch gets smacked for for that decision as well in the end. Um, but doesn't surprise me. Um, I. I mean, Twitch really didn't have any crazy big Chinese uh, viewership numbers to begin with, um, and now they won't have <laughs> those numbers to continue on. I'm sure it probably felt nice to have a, a bump, but they probably weren't going to stick around anyways, in all honesty. For sure. It, it was, I mean, I think it was Steam that is partnering with uh, Perfect World to develop a Chinese-specific version of Steam. Again, they have to partner with a Chinese company, and that's been something that has been dragging on for a bit. I think one thing that did immediately pop into my head, and I actually don't know the answer to this. I, I was trying to do a bit of research for the show, but like as Overwatch League expands significantly in China this next season, like regionality, all that jazz, how do you deal with that when the audience that you're targeting with that regionality can't watch the game through the means that everybody else in the world watches it. And you have to run because you could like, obviously like we could watch Shanghai dragons play, but I don't know who the partner is that overwatch league has partnered with in China to carry the Chinese streams for now going to be what four Chinese teams. I thought we reported on this a while back. It's hard because like generally the same way, like, Twitch gets banned there. Like most, you, you don't normally get Chinese media company stuff in the United States, whatever it may be. But uh, I believe NetEase uh, is who they partnered with on that. I think they created some co- sort of like specific browser ish kind of thing. If I'm correct, I, they have their own. I thought they have their own like Overwatch client. Uh, and I think NetEase was. And they just stream it in client only. Um, no, I think they actually have like their own separate client, like like how League of Legends was ass- attempting to go through. Like they have their own like sort of app. I don't think it's in client necessarily. Right. It might be in their launcher because they have a different launcher. Right. Um, I don't. Th- it, it, so it might be, uh, but it's definitely something that's like more of an in, a, in addition and that was built specifically for it. So it's there. I know. I'm I'm almost dead certain that we reported on there, talked about it when Overwatch was coming about. I know. Like, it was I was one of those things that was announced like right the before the league, but. <laughs> I don't know. I can't find my source. The IHOP is closed. Oh, damn it, IHOP. I don't know. Yeah. See, we're back in Ohio. IHOP's closed, so we're not able to get our But evidently, nowadays, you don't even need a source. You can just spout stuff off. And 
Oh Sorry. God, here we go. As long no, as you we don't go down, we, I told you we wouldn't talk about this because I couldn't even understand that article. So, oh, man, yeah. that article. Wait, uh, maybe yeah. next week we will tackle the amazingness that is this like TMZ of esports thing that popped up today. I'm not even gonna. I, I needed to read the article. And it was compounded because the story itself was already confusing. And then I don't know who wrote it, but somebody for Dot Esports wrote. I think you called yeah. it the memento of esports <laughs> articles because it just jumped all over the fracking place. I still don't know what happened. So yeah, I, I think in the end that. The person writing was just like faking some kind of mental thing. I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's weird. Uh, I don't really know what was going on, but uh, it, yeah. Long story short, someone just yells, "I don't know journalism." <laughs> that evidently. Well, to be fair, th- I don't know how. It was to kind journalism. of refreshing for somebody in esports journalism to finally admit that they don't know crap about journalism. <laughs> right, Jacob Wolf's like, that's <laughs> <laughs> like job security right that's there. Right. That's why I am the only one. Sorry, I yeah. just offended like three or four people that believe that they're esports journalists. <sighs> Anywho. There's some out there. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for this week. As always, you can check us out on all your podcatchers, iTunes, Pocket Cast, Overcast. Uh, we're now on Spotify. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're everywhere. We are just omnipresent. We're also not esports journalists, so you know, take it with a grain of salt. And yeah, of course, yeah. you can check us out on social media at Nerf This Crew on Twitter and at Nerf This GG on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're not already, be sure to subscribe to our daily headline show, Esports Daily, which you can also get via all those podcasts. Podcast means words are hard, or you can also install on your Alexa devices for flash briefings. And I'm about to set the Alexa off behind me by repeatedly saying that word. I really need to start muting that thing before we end the show or just have it like respond yeah. with weird things at the end. But anyway, that's going to do it for this week. We will be back <laughs> next week with yet another episode of Marathon.